0: the LAN hotel
1: in the F1 TV commentary box. It's Gasly Nation with TC and Alex. This week, how Gasly's formative years explain his journey to the top step. Mercedes explain their race losing error. And four-time world champion Alain Prost reminisces about William's glory days. And now, here he is, the man who wins Grand Prix for fun, Pierre Gasly. drop though, did he? Kept a great attitude, he's been sensational for Alpha Tauri, but not this sensational Carlos Sainz will get close he's not going to get close enough incredible scenes for Alpha Tauri and Pierre Gasly, who can come out of the final corner, and Pierre Gasly, for the first time in Formula 1, wins! He's victorious at Alpha AlphaTauri have won here at the Temple of Speed! Gasly is the 109th man to win a Grand Prix! An extraordinary, extraordinary drive!
2: It was a stunner, wasn't it? Everyone was a winner on Sunday. Pierre Gasly, obviously, but the sport of Formula 1 as well. Gasly, Sainz, and Stroll made for such a happy podium. And it's given this week's F1 Nation good vibes. Welcome to the show, everyone, with me, Tom Clarkson. And me, still recovering, Alex Jiggs. <laughs> AJ, you're on the rev limiter, man. It was wonderful. It
1: was just fantastic to see new talent battling it out for the win. Not just getting on the podium, but battling it out for the win. And the reaction from the paddock, from all of you around the world to that, shows you how desperate we are for more competitive races. What a brilliant piece of motor racing theatre, and what a well-deserved win for Pierre Gasly. Well, it was such an incredible Grand Prix that it's time for a brand new feature called the Reaction to the Reaction. We're going to take you through some of the best audio from that Grand Prix and tell you what we make of it. Starting with Lewis Hamilton.
2: I need to say huge congratulations to Pierre, because that's a fantastic result for him. Um, I know, I mean, I've obviously seen what he's been through from being dropped from the top team, um, and now he's beat the top team. Uh, you know, I think it's just fantastic to see him recover and um, to see him grow. So I am generally really happy for him. If Lewis couldn't win that race, I think he was genuinely happy that it was Pierre Gasly because they're quite matey away from the track. They play Call of Duty together. I think they chat in the drivers' briefings together. So, yeah, that was praise indeed from the champ.
1: Not sure how many drivers Lewis Hamilton has that sort of relationship with. So that was interesting to hear from his point of view and great that he went up to congratulate Pierre Gasly. Next up for our clip fest: the reaction of George Russell.
2: Gasly, what happened? Gasly from science from Stroll. You're kidding me. You are kidding me. Norris in four, Bottas five. You are bloody kidding me. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. Hold on, those guys. They
1: deserve it. So it's a pretty good effort from George Russell. You better believe it's true. That really was the Grand Prix result on Sunday. It was a good reaction from George. It was an even better reaction from Roman Grosjean.
3: What's the race result?
2: Gasly won from Saints, Stroll, Morris Oh, yes, podcast. boy. Fantastic, Pierre. 96 was the last French win. <laughs> That's really generous of Roman, isn't it? Ten-time podium finisher himself, but really pleased for his friend. And let's not forget that it was his teammate, Kevin Magnussen, that started the whole shenanigans when uh, he parked his car on the entrance to the pit lane. And of course, the pit lane was then closed. And then... Lewis Hamilton came in irrespective. And tell you what, TC,
1: I was looking at the aerial shot down there of Magnussen's Haas parked, and I was like, guys, I'm pretty sure that if you move your lunch and that fold-up table, you can get that Haas behind the barrier. And you know what? Thank goodness they did not move their lunch. <laughs> give those marshals <laughs> a raise. Unbelievable. What an effort.
2: Yeah. You know, when people are discussing driver of the day at the end of a Grand Prix, I give it to Kevin Magnussen. <laughs> Next up, the
1: moment where I wasn't genuinely sure if I was awake anymore and any of this
2: was real. And Pierre Gasly leads at Monza. At this point, though, I think my money was still on Carlos Sainz. Let's not forget that he'd been running P2 on merit during that Grand Prix after the start. And that McLaren was blisteringly quick in a straight line. So I was thinking, can Gasly hold on?
1: And Pierre Gasly did hang on. And of all the honours that you get for winning a Grand Prix, not just embracing your team, not just hearing your national anthem, the trophy, that iconic shot on the podium, you also get to speak to you in the press conference. Next up for us, see if you can tell how pleased TC is that he's got someone new to talk to at that stage of a Sunday.
2: In third place, Lance Stroll. In second place, Carlos Sainz. And taking his first win in Formula One, our winner, Pierre Gasly. Pierre, such a happy podium today. No doubt you've dreamt of this moment. How does the reality compare to the dream? (laughs) Thanks, AJ. Well... In my defense, I have spoken to Lewis Hamilton 23 times (laughs) in the the last however many weeks it is. So it was lovely to have someone fresh to talk to. And it was such a happy moment. The guys came into the press conference room. And although they'd just been together on the podium, they were still high-fiving and smiling and joshing and just so happy. Although... Pierre, once we started talking, then started just sort of... He had this permanent gaze. You could see he was still struggling to digest what had happened. And um, he went quiet for a bit, but just... Wonderful to have them in there. And yes, I was very relieved. One
1: man who was not relieved. One man who did not win the lottery yesterday. Martin Brundle, who wanted to interview the top three, but wasn't given that opportunity.
2: Why am I not doing it? I wish I was doing these <laughs> post-race interviews. I've had all the ones that, you won again, Lewis. Yeah. You lost again, Valtteri. I did.
1: You couldn't keep up with the Mercs, Max. I couldn't. But of all the amazing audio that we have from that race, I don't think anything is going to quite match this. As a commentator, it is genuinely wonderful to play you the best commentary of the day from french television
4: Accélère,
1: accélère Oui, il va aller la chercher Ne lâche pas La victoire de Pierre Gasly Il l'a fait Victoire de Pierre Gasly Victoire d'Alfatari La victoire française 24 ans, 3 mois et 18 jours après Olivier Panis, la France de nouveau victorieuse en Formule 1 Il l'a fait Pierre Gasly Exceptionnel Victoire ist- I don't speak French, but with commentary like that, you don't really need to. As we've heard from the Dutch commentators in Spain 2016 or the Finnish commentators in 2018, sometimes the emotion just carries through the voice. That is a fantastic piece of broadcasting.
2: And it's all for one man, Pierre Gasly. I still think of Bahrain 2018 when he finished fourth. I still think a little bit of Brazil last year when he finished second. And then, of course, Monza 2020, that Grand Prix win, just sensational stuff. It was such an emotional day for everybody at the track, but not least for the man himself.
4: I'm lost for words right now because I still, I'm still struggling to realize what's, what's happened for us. You know, it's... Uh... <laughs> My first win in Formula 1, uh, a couple of months ago, I got my first podium in Brazil. Um, and then today it's my first win uh, in Monza with alfatari uh, which is an Italian team. So could have not been better. And um, yeah, we worked so hard day by day, race after race, after everything that happened to me in the last 18 months. Um, yeah, I could, I could not have hoped for, for a better way to, to get my first win at break
1: time now and there are tons of vpn providers out there you've probably heard of a couple of them and some of you may have even used a vpn before but we like to do our research on the sponsors and we only recommend brands to you that we believe in we can say with full confidence that expressvpn is the best vpn on the market here's why expressvpn doesn't log your data Lots of really cheap or free VPNs make money by selling your data to ad companies. You don't want that. ExpressVPN developed a technology called Trusted Server, which makes it impossible for their servers to log any of your info. Second is speed. We've tried lots of VPNs in the past. Many slow your connection down or make your device sluggish. We've been using VPN for about six months now and our internet speeds are blazing fast. Even when we connect to the servers thousands of miles away, I can still stream HD quality videos with zero lag. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart from other VPNs is how easy it is to use. Unlike other VPNs, you don't have to input or program anything. You just fire up the app and click one button to connect. And it's not just us saying this. Wired, The Verge, CNET and many other tech experts rate ExpressVPN as the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that F1 Nation uses and trusts. Use the link expressvpn.com slash f1n today and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash f1n. Visit expressvpn.com slash f1n
2: to learn more. That was a very unlikely victory on Sunday. It was an unlikely result for Formula One, but also for Pierre Gasly. When you think of the difficulties he's been through and AJ, you know him. You work with him very closely as he was coming up the ladder. Can you just put some flesh on the bone as to where he's come from and just how difficult his journey's been to this point?
1: Yeah, Pierre has gone through some incredibly tough moments in his career and he's only 24 and he's had to deal with so much that it's, it's barely credible. If you throw it back a, a few years ago, he went over a thousand days Over three years without winning in his junior career. And that's just any race. That's just any race over a thousand days, which made him stand out, but obviously not for the right reasons, because everyone kept mentioning that stat. Ironically enough, in that winless streak, he was getting beaten By Carlos Sainz, who was his teammate in Formula Renault back in 2014. And Gasly had so many second places that year that this became a thing. So it was real pressure on his shoulders. You've got to end this streak because everyone knows pressure as a Red Bull junior driver. And yet the weekend that he ended that streak, his coach, his mum and Pierre were involved in a crash crash on the way to Silverstone Circuit, that was so serious that his mum broke a vertebrae. And then that day, he puts it all out of his head and he goes and wins his first GP2 race. He gets rid of the monkey off his back. He finally is a winner again and it was part of a really strange season, that GP2 year. It was his second GP2 year. Give you a few of the examples. In Austria, he was leading. It's wet in one part of the circuit, it's dry in another TC, and he spins off whilst in the lead. If that's dry, he wins that race by 20 seconds. In Germany, he beats Raffaele Marcello in a drag race to the line. He beats him by less than a tenth of a second on the line of the last lap. Little preview of what was to come. That's why you watch two after you've watched Formula One. The fire extinguisher goes off. He gets disqualified. And in Monza, it's a bit niche to mention in commentary, so I'm glad I can mention it now. He was leading. He was going to win. And then the safety car picked up the wrong car. When have you ever seen that happen? Pierre Gasly dealing with Pierre Gasly things. So he's told all year by Helmut Marco, you got to win this title. Otherwise, there are repercussions for your career. And he finally wins the GP2 title. And Helmut Marco says, not good enough. You're going off to Japan. It was like a teenager being sent over to reset his exams. And I know he was really hurt by that because he had been told to go and win the title. He had won the title. The reason that everyone identifies with Pierre is he is obviously a rounded human being he wears his emotions and then he's sent off to japan away from his family away from europe away from the motor racing scene that he knows if he'd even had a strop for one month about that happening and we've seen other drivers get sent over there and have a bit of a strop he wouldn't have made it work he learned the culture he understood the car he competed for the championship he was going into the final round of the season with a chance to win that title typhoon out of nowhere.
2: I, mean, oh, I remember that. This is
1: absolutely ridiculous at this point. He gets the call up to Formula One at Toro Rosso, where they are impressed for the performances that you have already mentioned, but they do not believe he's ready for the big team. And we know what happened after that. So he goes back to Toro Rosso last year. Again, similar theme. If he has even a couple of shaky races, a couple of average months, his career is on that cliff edge for so long. He knuckles down. He works hard. He's only been outqualified by his teammate Danny Fiat there on two occasions since he returned to the team. He's had to keep his career alive so many times. He's been staring at the end of that dream so many times and yet, If you keep on plugging, if you keep having the right attitude, your reward is a day like Sunday. And that is why I think there was such a swell of emotion for the richly deserving Pierre
2: Gasly. Beautifully put, AJ. And at any point in everything you've just described, in in your dealings with him, did his head drop? Did you ever have a conversation with him where you thought, oh, he's a bit shaky today?
1: I think when he didn't get that promotion to Formula One, when he was overlooked having won the GP2 title and he had to go to Japan, that is the junction where he deserves, I think, the most credit. Because that was the clear point where he could have gone, Red Bull don't rate me. They don't think I'm good enough. Why should I bother? Think about if that goes a different way. Pierre Gasly still has a brilliant career as a professional racing driver. There are other championships in which he would have undoubtedly succeeded. He took that difficult treatment He swallowed it and he went and performed again. And that's been the story of his entire career. So did he need circumstances to come his way yesterday? Yes, but he had withstood an awful lot of the storm and add into that the loss of a close friend in Antoine Hubert one year ago. And he's 24, Tom. He's had to deal with all of those moments at an age where if I'd been given a setback like that at 18 or 19, all the toys would have come out of the pram We've seen that with other drivers he deserves the credit because the toys stayed firmly in the pram at every single setback. I don't agree with you AJ I think your toys would have
2: stayed in the pram. not a chance I was so enough, right? I, was, I, I was a I was a strop factory <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting now for Gasly is that I think he's at another crossroads mm. in that what does he do next? He's too big now to stay at Alpha Tauri. Does he want to go back to Red Bull Racing or does he have to do a Carlos Sainz and sever links with Red Bull now and go to another team? Go actually... Follow Carlos Sainz through McLaren. There isn't an option there for next season. But I think someone like Andreas Seidel would be a brilliant foil for Pierre Gasly. Seidel understands racing drivers. He really gets racing teams. And I'd love to see him working with someone like Gasly. What do you think? I don't have any direct knowledge
1: of this subject, but I think he's been considering it. When Rosanna Tennant asked him on this very podcast earlier in the year, what about your future? He had an instant answer ready for it. I think he knows that he's had to do something with this year to open up to open up that Gasly is good enough to go to another team that he's worthy of breaking out of that Red Bull program. Well, what do you think, Tom? Do you think it would benefit him to go back
2: to the senior team? Because I don't think that would be the right environment for him. I don't. And I, in the same way that it wasn't ultimately the right environment for Daniel Ricciardo and he had to get out. Uh, and, and spread his wings in another team. And I think Gasly needs to do that as well. I think he's he's too big a personality to just play second fiddle to Max Verstappen in that team. And of course, Red Bull will tell you that they run two cars and it's equal opportunities. But every vibe you get coming out of them, you know, Max is so quick and it makes it so difficult for his teammates that ultimately... Everything focuses on Max, and the same happens is happening at Ferrari with Leclerc now, is happening at Mercedes with Hamilton. It just that the, the momentum of the team gravitates to the faster guy, and so I would like to see Gasly continue to grow at another team. I don't know where he goes. Well, this is the problem. There aren't
1: that many options. This is the problem, TC. Where does he go? I don't think anyone would disagree with everything that you've just said but there is no obvious direction for him to go in. I think he's been focusing so much on this year, but because of the strangeness of the driver market this year, where we rolled up to round one, knowing the big seats had been filled, or what we thought were the big seats at the time, but let's not get into that at this point of the podcast. (laughs) Right now, there doesn't appear to be an obvious destination. I know that in the past, Renault were looking at him, or Alpine,
2: as they will be known next year, but... Those seats are taken. That option is filled, and I think he's better off at Alpha Tauri in 2021 than he is Alpha Romeo, than he is Haas, where there are, of course, seats still available. Try telling Helmut Marco that you would. <laughs> I don't want to go to Red Bull Racing, Helmut. I want to stay where I am. That's a difficult conversation. If you were his manager, AJ, what would you suggest?
1: Uh, more money, please. He's a Formula One race winner. <laughs>
2: Can you imagine? I think he was on a big bonus on Sunday. (laughs) I I think that's why he refused to get off the podium. He couldn't quite (laughs) work out how he was going to spend it all.
1: It's clearly not going to sink in for Pierre Gasly for a number of days. Probably not by the time that he gets back in the car for Mugello because the races keep coming thick and fast. But I want to tell you about one of my favourite parts of the race for pure comedy value, TC. During the red flag, I thought, oh, there goes Lewis on his scooter. Off to the loo. No, hold on. He's not gone through there. He's not. Oh, my word. He's inside the building. (laughs) Michael Massey looking around going, lock the door, lock the doors. It's like that bit in the Bourne film where they're like, it's Jason Bourne.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I initially thought he was going through to have a chat to the engineers in what they call the Mercedes treehouse, which is just behind the pits. But no, he goes up the stairs. And then it was like, well, hang on, that is the race control <laughs> staircase. And, and then I thought, no, he's gone up. He's gone up the stairs and race control. They've changed race control at Monza for this year. It's now on the ground floor. So I thought for this reason, oh. TC. So the drivers can't <laughs> yeah, find <laughs> confuse them. Confuse the drivers, confuse the drivers. So I thought, oh, hang on. He's gone to the first floor. So that isn't race control. Oh, that's the stewards. <laughs> gary Connolly, tom christensen
1: over to you good luck well it's probably worth us explaining uh, what lewis was so upset about and the way that that unfolded for the team that has run so brilliantly at the front all year long uh, we saw the message they did not see the message and here to explain maybe better than we can why that happened mercedes andrew Shovlin who is their trackside engineering director.
4: Within our software, a lot of the messages we have are automatically detected by the software and they get relayed into us on the intercom. So if there's a safety car, there's a voice that will say safety car. So even if you're not looking at the monitor, you can't miss it. Now, this is, as you know, a fairly unusual one, not something that we have automated and we need to look at that in future because if we step through the timeline, Um, There would have been time for us by the time the message came up and someone had spotted it. And bear bear in mind, at this point, we're all turned around looking at the pit stop. Um, You know, Ronnie's watching the guys and checking the tyres are coming out. So we're actually watching the, the stop, not looking behind us at the monitors. Someone did spot it back at the factory. But by then, there was about a second or two. And with the various delays we wouldn't have got the message. So, we, you know, we need to look at ourselves and say, if that happens again, there was there was clearly an opportunity to get him to stay out, albeit a small one, and we need to make sure that we can grab those opportunities because it was a pretty costly penalty. It's one of the mandated penalties, but it all dates back to Ricardo in um, Brazil, the year of the wet race, where he he'd come in and had a penalty that was deemed to be sort of a bit small given that he got a free pit stop. So the penalty itself is reasonable because in many circumstances, if you did that, you have gained a whole pit stop on the grid. It was just unfortunate that for us, it you know it didn't, didn't help us to do the stop then and it obviously cost us an awful lot.
1: Our thanks to Andrew Shovlin for talking us through that critical junction of the race.
2: As fabulous and as exciting as Sunday's race was at Monza, it was also a sad moment because after 43 years... 114 Grand Prix wins, nine Constructors' Championships and seven Drivers' titles. The Williams family is now bowing out of Formula One. The paddock was an emotional place on Sunday and Deputy Team Principal Claire Williams, who stood down from her role yesterday, Monday, after the Italian Grand Prix, hosted a drinks reception for her friends in the paddock after the race on Sunday evening. There were a few tears and rightly so, because it's been a phenomenal innings by the Williams family. And someone who knows the team really well is Anne Bradshaw, who first worked for the PR side of the team back in 1985. And she's got some very fond memories.
5: For Frank, it was always the next race. I mean, we'd, we'd get to an airport on a Sunday night or Monday morning and we'd all be getting on this plane going back to London but Frank was never on that plane. He was always going the opposite direction. He might be going to Geneva, he might go to Paris, Madrid, Rome, Middle East. But he was never going back to the office. He was going looking for the next engine deal, the next sponsorship deal, and that was what his, thats what drove him. The next deal.
2: And from a driver's point of view, you've worked with many world champions. If I was to ask you to name your favourite Williams driver who you work with, who would you say?
5: Oh God, it's. For <laughs> fear of upsetting any of them, I might have to put two forward. As an absolute gentleman and a sweetie and perhaps the most handsome driver I've worked with, Riccardo Patrese, he was just adorable. Naughty, difficult, but great fun, Juan Pablo Montoya. And a lot in between, I mean, I love Damon, DC, there were some great, I mean, I, I, Kecky Rosberg, I, some great drivers, but... Those two sort of stick out because they, they, they had their their own ways with things and, and, and I enjoyed
2: it. Okay, I'm going to ask you about Nigel Mansell then because, of course, he was in the team, wasn't he, in 85 when you joined, alongside Keke Rosberg. Mm, yes. Nigel? I knew you were
5: going to do that. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that to me. Now, I will start off by saying Nigel is an eleven tenth driver. I will forgive Nigel a lot of difficulties that he put me through because when he got in that car... If anybody could drive it and get a win, it was him. So, And he had the most adoring fans. I mean, sometimes verging a bit on football fans. You know, they, they got went over the top. I mean, I'm sure you remember the days when they flooded the track at Silverstone. Nigel could be difficult. And sadly, Nigel thought people were out to get him. He had this complex that people were trying to screw him. And, and you know, if, if his engine was down on power, it was because that engine manufacturer had screwed him and, and I, I will not go into my Brummie accent but it was a shame because everybody admired him but yeah he, he, he could be a bit
2: All difficult alright <laughs> right. Well, uh, what about a best memory of your time at Williams
5: best memory well, I mean it's difficult to beat Damon winning world championship in, in Japan because obviously we'd been through the awfully tough time and everybody in the team was still coming to terms with what had happened in 94 and I think just Damon being and Damon wasn't a flamboyant person but he was lovely to work with he was he was a bit introverted and I only really perhaps understood him properly when I read his book recently which I thought was amazing but yeah everybody was behind him everybody wanted him to win a lot of people were really behind Williams and and you know the, the famous Murray Walker as he went across the line I've got a Stop because lumping I mean it was the best celebrations I've ever had post anything like you know
2: karaoke in the log cabin at the, Suzuka anyway, the log cabin at Suzuka <laughs> with Damon and
5: Michael Schumacher singing who do you think you're kidding Mr Hitler that was my high spot
1: memories of Williams golden era really in the 80s and the 90s when they were absolutely dominating and at their peak They were an absolutely formidable team with all those championships, and they were, for a very long time, the team to beat. One of those drivers winning a championship. We're talking about one French Grand Prix winner in Pierre Gasly. We can hear now from the Frenchman with the most Grand Prix wins. This is Alain Prost talking about his title-winning season with Williams.
3: People like me, not only ex-Formula 1, I mean Williams' Formula 1 driver, being world champion with him. I remember m- even more when I started uh, racing, you know, uh, 75 at the school, and 76, the first year, that was more or less the beginning of the Williams team, you know, I even don't know exactly, maybe a bit, bit before. It is exactly what, what we loved at the time. That means uh, uh, independent team, the, the, the passion behind that, and Frank is, uh, is really uh, maybe the best passionate guy I, I met in... Uh, in, in, in Formula One, it's just Claire. Oh, Claire. <laughs> and, uh, Claire walking past, yeah. yes,
2: blue hurricane. Yeah. <laughs>
3: so it's, it's very sad because, you know, I knew uh, obviously Williams, Brabham, uh, Lotus, Ligier, uh, all, the, all these brands, I mean, they, they disappear. Even if the, the Williams name is still on, but for how many, how, how long? No, I don't know exactly the, the passion with, with, with uh, Frank is unbelievable. The, the old story, my, my old story about four, forty years of Formula One. You you have Frank, you have the team, you have Frank, you have Patrick. Obviously, it's not easy to be a, a driver at Williams, because it's uh, they, they, they still wanted to do the, the same thing that they were doing in twenty, thirty, forty years ago, because they are so passionate that uh, you know the the, the, the brand the image is is uh, is strong. The way they they are doing things is. Uh, um, the team is more important than anything. The, the, the car, I mean, the performance, it's a, a driver is a driver. Only, only a driver, it has to be, uh, you know. So I uh, think uh, l- looking at the, the end of this story is very bad also for Formula One.
2: I remember, Alan, that a lot of people thought you and Williams were the perfect combination. Williams Grand Prix Engineering yeah. and Le Professor yeah. together are you sort of saying that they treated you like a driver and
3: didn't want the extra input from you? Patrick wanted to extract. you know. I, I had a, l- a very good relation with Patrick in terms of, you know, the setup or, I mean, technology or whatever. Also with Frank, but you, at the end, they, they, they make you feel that you are only a driver. The human side is really behind And Sometimes to be a very, very good racing driver... You need both. Even Ayrton, I, I was talking to Ayrton very, very often during the winter and the beginning of the season 94. He was very surprised about the way they, you feel at, at Williams. That doesn't mean it's bad, you know, but it's very, very different and it's, it's tough. <laughs> but sometimes it, it makes you a better driver, sometimes it makes you a weaker driver. I, I'm sure about that.
2: Was there huge pressure to succeed that year because? the car was so good did you feel the pressure
3: the car for everybody looks much much better than everybody else every every other car which was not the case everywhere not true for example i drove the mclaren during the winter winter after i can tell you that their active suspension was better they had a they had a much better gear change especially when it's wet for example you know going down shift was much much better our engine was much better that's for sure our car was better, you know, but not everywhere. But uh, very difficult to drive a car where everybody th- can think that uh, the job you are doing is uh, is not exceptional and it's just uh, normal. <laughs>
2: what was Frank like? Can you remember the first thing he said to you when you joined the team?
3: I don't remember I don't remember the first thing. We were talking very often with Frank anyway, during all my whole career, even when I was McLaren. Frank always gives a call to the drivers to get close to them, even if you are in a, not, not in, in, in the team. When you're outside or when you're inside, I remember when we signed the contract, It was in uh, in Paris at uh, Dassault, you know, in Le Bourget, you almost don't feel any emotion. <laughs> but I, I, I like Frank, I love Frank, you know, because I loved what he has done. I love the, the passion, he's, uh, he's a tough guy, but that is why also he was successful. Um, But uh, as I said, you have to accept that, but it's difficult to to live with.
2: Will there ever be another Frank Williams?
3: Uh, No way today, no way today. It's absolutely impossible, no, impossible. Who'd have thought, AJ, that that FW15C from 1993
2: didn't have the best gearbox and active suspension system on the grid, and in fact, the McLaren was better? Fascinating Uh, stuff from Alan Prost there. It's
1: just unbelievable. Is that revisionist history? Is that real? I think that's a little hint of that Fry and Laurie sketch that they did about him.
2: (laughs) True. And let's not forget, he did win seven races that season. It was not a bad year for for AP. But anyway, great to speak to him. And uh, and as you heard during that interview, quite amusingly, uh, Claire Williams walked past as we were chatting about the team and he blew her. A very Gallic kiss. It was a nice moment. Well, in your
1: favourite part of this podcast, TC, I'm now going to mention that I'm a little bit too young to have watched Williams through their heyday. But one of the nice things about this has been going back through. And when you're lucky enough to be a commentator, you go back and do your history and you look at all those wonderful images. You relive those iconic moments. Mansell getting past PK to win the British Grand Prix in 1987. And Bradshaw quoted that incredible line of commentary from Murray Walker at the end of Damon Hill's Uh, final race of his championship winning season in 1996 in Japan. But the driver that I remember watching as a kid who was so exciting and who was driving for Williams and just absolutely box office, he was so aggressive with his overtakes. Juan Pablo Montoya, how could he not be
2: one of your favorite drivers from the Williams times? Latter-day Alan Jones, just uh, I can imagine him and Patrick having an absolute humdinger of an argument about car setup, and then five minutes later, pretending the argument had never happened. That is exactly the sort of Williams driver that got on with that team. And I know that Juan Pablo regrets leaving that team. They were definitely his happiest moments in Formula One.
1: They've provided us with so many motor racing memories. We wish the Williams family very well with whatever comes next. They have certainly left an incredible legacy on our wonderful sport. Talking of legacy, Ferrari have a birthday coming up in this incredibly predictable Formula One season where if I told you in February we'd be going to Mugello, you would have been like, what? And I'd said, not only are we going to Mugello for Ferrari's 1000th race, we're going there with Pierre Gasly as the most recent race winner. Boring Brilliant. and predictable Formula One, isn't it? <laughs>
2: It's just sensational. And since they announced this race back in July, I have been so excited about it. It's the Chianti race. We're gonna, <laughs> it's gonna. My waistline is already not enjoying a week in Italy and uh, it ain't going to improve while I'm in Tuscany, but it's going to be fantastic. I've only been to Mugello once before, AJ, and that was back in 2006, uh, where I was watching Michael Schumacher testing that year's Ferrari. Wow. It is a gorgeous bit of italy it is a fabulous racetrack i mean the g-forces are going to be something else arabiata one arabiata two in a road car really really challenging corners certainly not flat in these things they're just going to be flat and the drivers are going to be feeling sore next monday
1: lots of gravel lots of potential for mistakes lots for us to look forward to
2: And also Ferrari have announced that they're coming out with a special livery this weekend to celebrate their 1000th race. They're going scarlet. It's old school Ferrari red from their first race, Monaco 1950. So looking forward to that. The thing is, this year's Mercedes is so good through fast corners and that is Mugello. The only hope we've got in terms of making it a good race is that they strain the tyres a little too much. And that might open it up to a Max Verstappen or someone else. Hey, even a Pierre Gasly. Don't write off Pierre Gasly.
1: I don't think anyone is ever writing off Pierre Gasly ever again. Also, a lot of marshals with tables that they just won't move, even if there's enough room. Thank you for not moving that table. Thank you for listening. We're back. Same place you get your podcast next week from Tom and from me. That's it for One Nation this week. We'll speak to you next.